0: You're listening to Dual Citizens with David Old and Steve McAlpine.
1: Hello, and welcome to Dual Citizens Series 2. Here at Dual Citizens, we're thinking about that great tension between living as a citizen of an earthly country, uh, in this case, uh, here in Australia, in the Southern Hemisphere and the dual citizenship of being a citizen of heaven, as the Apostle Paul calls it in Philippians. And how can we make dual citizens even better than it was before? Well, by having two, by having a dual dual citizen. So I'm delighted to be joined by Steve McAlpine. Steve, how are you going, mate?
0: Good. Good to be with you. And I notice it's not duelling citizens. So we're not going to be fighting with each other. But well, also, we don't want to be fighting as such. It, we're not here to have arguments, right? <laughs>
1: No, but we'll try and we'll try and uh, keep each other out of them, and hopefully some other people out uh, out of them as well. That's right. It's dual citizenship, as in, uh, uh, and it kind of a little play on both of us as well. Because I, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I'm actually uh, an earthly dual citizen as well. I, I've kept this beautiful uh, dulcet accent uh, from back in the UK, and yet um, I'm a citizen of this this uh, great southern land uh, here in Australia. Well, what about you, Steve? Uh, tell us a bit about yourself.
0: Yeah, I'm. I, I'm also a dual citizen of. Um well, heaven and uh, earth, but also uh, uh, Northern Ireland and uh, or the UK and Australia as in well. In the part of maybe. the UK, yeah. Um, but, yeah, look, i um, lived in Australia most of my life. And as people may know me from uh, such uh, things as writing and uh, blogging and things like that, where I think some of our tensions as we write and think about things, Dave, is how do you navigate what seems like a hot cultural moment uh, with a gospel framework that doesn't lean into just being angry or fearful, I think,
1: yeah, absolutely. So uh, I know you and I have been writing about current affairs and how that intersects with the gospel and what difference the gospel makes to how we uh, think about these things for, for a number of years. Uh, you've written a couple of books, though. Uh, spruik your book, Steve.
0: Yeah, so your new one out, Future Proof, uh, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps on Changing. Uh, and probably some of the things that we'll deal with over the coming weeks will uh, be around those issues, I think. Um, just how uh, it feels like a roller coaster in the culture at the moment, and a good time to be talking about those things. So, we'll look at some of those uh, things today. And I think we're what are we looking at the, the new He Gets Us campaign at the Super Bowl. That was, yes, uh, we are. Yeah, that took, uh, that's lovely. a lot of uh, airtime. Uh, it didn't cost us as much airtime to put up as them. Um, <laughs> and I think an ongoing one, which is a slow burn the last few weeks, is the controversy around Alistair Begg, a pastor from Scottish Guy living in the US for a long time, about his uh, pastoral advice about a grandmother who asked could she attend her grandson's trans wedding. And so that opened yeah. up a whole can of worms. Oh,
1: he's upset He's upset a lot of people, hasn't he? And then other people got upset because other people got upset. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, finally we're going to look at something a little bit uh, left of centre, the tragic death of World Marathon um, record holder Calvin Kipton uh, in just this last week. Uh, big, big news in athletics,
1: I think. Yeah, and that one, that one passed me by, Steve. But um, you're a runner, aren't you? Uh, so no. that's probably <laughs> no, just a little <laughs> bit. That. <laughs> I'm a walker myself, uh, um, and uh, that one kind of just passed me by. But I know uh, you've got some thoughts on that, and I'm looking forward to hearing them um, yeah. at, at the end. Well, let's get started. Uh, uh, our non-dueling dual citizenship, or uh, let's, let's get on that roller coaster and see if we can't actually uh, learn to learn how, how to ride on it. First thing
0: we're going to look at is the uh, the He Gets Us uh, ad campaign, which was during Super Bowl. $7 million worth of ads for, you know, 0.2 of a second or (laughs) probably a few more seconds of that. (laughs) Um, Huge ad campaign, and it's been running a few years, about trying to show Jesus in a positive light in American culture. So there's a little bit of background there, uh, American culture and Jesus. Um, But the ad campaign shows uh, people washing each other's feet and the... Termin- uh, the words that shows Jesus, he gets us, kind of thing. So there's a lot of graphic stuff going on. And you see different kinds of people washing different kinds of people's feet, uh, which is a very Jesus-y thing to do, I suppose. But it's raised a lot of questions. Um, it, it It's certainly been a polarising ad. Dave, you've done a little bit of thinking about this Uh what has been polarizing about this ad, ironically, given that it's an ad to try and dial down some of the polarization issues?
1: Yeah, well, uh, one bit of me wants to go, it's America, so of course it's going to be polarized. Every single flipping thing about America is polarized. I-, I studied in the United States for a year, 30 years ago now, 1993 to 1994. And the first thing that struck me, even back then, was just how utterly polarized uh, every single issue was uh, in in that culture, I presume even more so now. So what's polarized? Well, just by being a thing, it's got polarized. But uh, it's it's annoyed a lot of what we might call more conservative Christians because their critique has been, this just hasn't been an actually accurate uh, depiction of what the whole Jesus foot washing thing is all about. But more than that, has it actually played into and reinforced some assumptions about the way the world works that actually aren't true uh what's really interesting is if you work your way through this sort of um all these different images of people having their foot washed uh, i i did a little uh, piece on my my website a couple of weeks ago um of the 12 different images and they're really well done i've got to say like the quality is is really clever and there's engaging images but of the of the 12 images nine of the 12 fit into what you might call a classic victim oppressor narrative so you know you've got um uh, a cop uh, washing the foot of of, of, of a black man, and the sort of shades of the BLM sort of protests uh, in, in in the background. So it's the it's the reversal of the way that we've been told to think the world works. You know, the cops, bad cops, defund the police. Uh, BLM protesters protesting against the oppression of this culture. Well, that gets flipped around because, uh, and here's the point of the ad because Jesus doesn't function that way. So 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 the cop comes in and he loves. Uh This black guy... And by implication, therefore, what Jesus wouldn't be doing is what would normally be happening is is a cop hating on a black guy. Right. Or, or, or again, um, you get uh, an anti-abortion protester who who you see washing the feet of presumably uh, a teenage mum who's going to go into the clinic. Now, what's really fascinating about that one is in the background, you've got a bunch of other anti-abortion protesters and they're not portrayed as like sort of angry, hectoring. They're kind of actually pretty chilled, uh, are leaning on a fence or something thing with their, with their placards to their, to their side. But the same thing's going on. Just think about what's happening there. They're telling me, Jesus, what would he be doing in that situation? Well, Jesus isn't a hater. He's a lover because he gets you a girl that's going to the abortion clinic. So Jesus comes and he washes the foot of the, of the teenage pregnant crisis pregnancy mum. By implication, therefore... He's not doing what that, pro- what that abo- anti-abortion protester would normally have done, oppressor victim narrative, right. which is actually, according to the picture, calmly and not in a really aggro way, protest against abortion and actually call out to say, look, please don't kill your child. So even that, that kind of gentler act of being at an, anti- uh, at an abortion clinic and saying to uh, women coming in, please don't kill your baby. There's yeah. got to be a better way. That, according to the paradigm which the which the ad is communicating, that's hateful. So, you think, it's um, it.
0: yeah. Look, it. Are we straying at gnats and swallowing camels? Because some people are saying uh, it's getting the idea of Jesus out there, and people looked up Jesus online <laughs> when after the ad. Like, they, if it had been a beer ad, maybe they'd have looked up beer. But you know, that's right. how advertising works. But uh, what's it missing? In, in in your view, then, because you've said what you know, you can see why it's touching on some of the issues that people think. Well, if you're a Christian, yeah. you you hate on some of these types of people.
1: Yeah, what's it missing? Well, I, I think my God is it's it's missing who Jesus actually is and what He's actually come to do. So so you know, one of the main premises of of advertising is you do speak to people's felt needs. But in order to then pivot them to what their actual need is. So in one sense, this is an ad that speaks to the felt need of a certain segment of society uh, in America who kind of whose understanding of Christians and more conservative ones, let's face it, is that um, is that uh, that's hateful. It's been oppressive of them and so on. And so uh, Jesus kind of he, he yeah he gets you. Uh, he gets you on that. He get understands. What that's like, and he and, he, and he meets you in it. Um, except that that it's done do too. That,
0: do you do you think that's um, just tapping into say yeah. the the secret sensitive movement of the late seventies into the eighties, right? Yeah, it feels like that was we we scoff at that because it's a bit consumer driven, but surely that yeah. doing that is is probably saying what is the felt need of this person that I could address in a safe yeah. consumption model because it doesn't feel yeah. like it's very. Um, I want ads to be a little bit more shocking than that, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, you kind of – well, yeah, I think you and I, because of the way we are, we want to be a little bit more provoked, which is not necessarily a, a bad thing. Well, the, I mean, the critique of the seeker-sensitive movement was, did they ever get to the gospel? Mm. Uh, and, and that's kind of the critique here. Yeah. Where's the gospel here? Yeah. Did you so see the, it, you um,
0: you look, Northern Irish uh, young a pastor, young pastor, in, a, in a, an hour or so, put together a video – Called He Saves
1: Us. Yeah, so I'm um, a guy called Jamie Bambrick from Hope Church, Craig Avon. He's put together this. I used this to live in by the way,
0: it, in a housing estate in the early 80s in Northern Ireland on the uh, outskirts of all the troubles. Heady times yeah. indeed. But yeah. yes, I noticed it. And it's very well put together video if you're going to provoke and showcase Jesus' superpower. I, I think that's what I would say. Do you think? The first ad kind of failed on the level of uh, Marketing 101 because it didn't lean into the difference that Jesus is.
1: Well, I think that's one of it. I, I want to say a couple of things. I think, one, it bought into the – so people have a, 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 perce- a perception of what's going on in the world. Everyone's got their way of viewing the world. Increasingly for many, it is this kind of victim-oppressor paradigm which comes from critical theory, and, you know, the books have been written about that, uh, Um. Uh, and what it does, I think what it did is it, 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 it just buys into that and does no more than that. And, and the thing that is striking about Jesus is wherever he walks and whoever he talks to, he challenges people's perceptions of the way that the world is. Uh, we're just preaching through John, the middle of John at uh, church, and I just opened up John chapter seven, and we're going to preach Jesus going into Jerusalem on on the, on the feast of booths. And what's really interesting is, is his brothers say to him, "This is a great time to go to Jerusalem, Jesus. Everyone will be there. You can do like a sign, and it'll just be great. Everyone will love you." And Jesus goes, "No, no, no. It's not my time to do to do that. Besides." Uh, by implication, there's another sign I'm going to end up doing in Jerusalem that's far more effective. But then he, he kind of sneaks in undercover into Jerusalem. And rather than doing the, um, oh, I get you all, you're all great uh, kind of line. Sorry, it sounds a bit cynical, but I'm feeling a bit cynical about this. Ad. Really? really? You know, that's it's
0: not coming through in the um, talk. <laughs>
1: you no, he goes in and he basically tells them all how they're wrong. Yeah. And he basically tells them all, you just don't get what's actually going on. You're viewing the world in the wrong way. You're being hypocritical in the way that you, 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 um, uh, you make the, you make the assessments that you make. And what's really interesting is that he's an equal opportunity offender. So he starts with the Jews, which in John is the leadership of of the jewish nation but then he turns to the crowd and he basically just, just rips into them as well for their for their hypocrisy too so not that i'm saying we need to you know let's find some people to again to offend and and you know yeah. slap them in the face let's have a duel but but jesus challenges us uh, and there's nothing challenging about there's nothing challenging about this ad in fact what it does is it says to people some of whom are sinning I mean, can we just say that clearly? So, so I mean, there are complexities to the abortion debate. I want to get that. But it's not a good thing to kill your baby in the womb. There's complexities to the issue of same-sex attraction. But ultimately, Jesus is really clear on where sex belongs and and, and, and how it should be acted into. But the Jesus of, of he gets us um, just comes in and goes, you know, I love you. You're great. Uh, I I do get you. And and if there is any sense of a call to repentance, a change of life, it's not there in the ad. It's frankly not really there on the website that they call you to either. And Mm, so that that whole thing is missing. And so what's striking about Jamie Bambrick's video is it's built around the premise that Jesus comes in and radically rescues and changes us, which is is the gospel, right?
0: Yeah. Look, in one sense, you're saying... um, it feels like a lot of the heavy lifting has to be done by someone. If you said these ads are a conversation starter, I feel I'd have to unravel a lot of stuff before I'd get back to So I want it to be a conversation starter, not a conversation inhibitor. Because if it does say love your neighbour, here's the other thing I would uh, comment on. And Glenn Scrivener talks about this. Uh, Tom Holland talks about this. We think it's universal human values to love your neighbour. Uh, but that's Christianity, Yes, yeah. right. So, yeah. uh, and then your neighbour goes to you. Well, I don't need Jesus to love my neighbour. I probably do more than you. And I look around at my some of my neighbours, and they do do more than I do. So, is Jesus sort of being sort of diminished in that? Because we're not saying this has just come from Christianity. You can't get this without Jesus.
1: So, what does he bring? Like ultimately, what is he bringing? All, all he's actually doing is is a ultimately, I think, in this advert, he he ends up affirming a worldview that actually we want to go. It's actually really unhelpful and and doesn't you know if I'm constantly the victim uh, in this sort of victim oppressor paradigm and we should not kid ourselves that this is such a prevailing way of, of thinking uh, in the world today. If I'm constantly a victim, then I'm not the one that's done anything wrong. I'm not a sinner. That needs to come in repentance. and know the glorious gospel of being forgiven by all that Jesus does for me. Uh, I, I just remain the person that that really just needs to be vindicated, uh, but not in the sense of just you know proper just biblical justification, yeah. but actually uh, being shown up. And I'm going to add one more thing, Steve. I'm on a roll. Um, uh, the online yeah. chat, the online uh, the online chats about this have been great and fascinating to watch. And, and I think one that's really one comment that's really fascinated me that I that I read only just yesterday was was someone saying, look. Um, this is about, do we really get this segment of the society? And let's call it what it is. It's more politically left-wing leaning. Do we really get them for who they are? Perhaps some of the co- more conservative response to this has been uh, a failure to 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 understand, to which my response wants to be, no. Actually, I think this response comes because we genuinely do understand what's going on here. Mm, like, Like, okay. do you actually get what's going on for people when they view the world in this way. And maybe perhaps that actual paradigm itself is not the right way to be viewing the world. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 I'm not going to play into your paradigm. I actually have come along to show you a far better, truer way to think about how how the world works. I just don't think really you get any sense of that at all uh, in this ad. And although that's a lot of heavy lifting for one ad to do, um, like you say, the conversation if you're going to have a conversation about who Jesus is and what he does this ad feels like it's not it's not setting me off in the right direction
0: yeah that's interesting um, having said that uh, it doesn't say that the, Jesus does get us John 2 tells us that but he doesn't entrust himself to the crowd even though they trust him they want to believe in him but we don't get him and at the end of John 2 in you know using the the language it says he would not entrust himself to any man because he knew what was in a man. And then yeah. the flip side is the next verse is neither no, was a man of the Pharisees. So in one sense, neither side gets Jesus. No, no. So I mean, and that's what we'd want to say too, because I, I I agree with you on that. That very progressive framework is a, an alternate sort of you know, gospel, but we've got to be careful. That we don't think just because we're on a conservative framework, Jesus is sort of going palsy with us as well. It's none of us get him unless we get the gospel.
1: Absolutely, and, and conservatism with kind of the the um, almost the hanging on to the moral framework of Judeo-Christianity, uh, well, that's just moralism, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and and there's a reason why the Pharisees uh, get a lot of sh- uh, shrift from Jesus uh, for, their, for, their, for their moralism and, and, and insistence. Like insisting that people be good is actually the opposite of the gospel. Well, if
0: this were a Super Bowl ad, you'd have just spent $150 million uh, I was, for riffing I'm on that for God. a while
1: Money well spent, Steve. I think we kind of kind of wrap wrap that one up. Actually, I want to say one more thing if that's all right. Um and and, and and it's this I wonder if in this ad you've just got another example of people trying to make Jesus look good, Christians trying to make Jesus look good, by actually throwing other Christians under the bus. Mm, good point. So so there are some images that are portrayed in this ad. So, you know, let's take that lady protesting peacefully at an abortion center. Uh, um, Let's pick the non-controversial topics. Uh, She gets thrown under the bus, Mm. right? We just get told that's hateful. Um, Jesus would do better. Mm. Jesus would do Mm. better. Um, You know, and it is worth asking, what would Jesus do at an abortion center? I'm sure he would have lots of love for the women going in there. Lots of clear words for some of the activists and maybe some of the medical professionals in there uh i just wonder whether he'd be doing that at the picket line or or, or yeah, somewhere else yeah and you kind of need to be challenged don't you on on for all of us on where where, where would it be i yeah. just think it was too easy to just flick that image and and just dismiss uh, mm. um dismiss it for where for where it is all right i've got to over budget now you uh, have. Our, yeah our super Bowl yeah super ad. maybe we'll turn to uh the next topic so uh, a good week or so before any of us were worried about who was going to win the Super Bowl or whether Taylor Swift uh, was going to be there or any of the ads that were going to be aired. Alistair Begg, who is a uh, Scottish minister who's been ministering in the United States for for many, many years. And I would have said up to this point, one of the one of the go to guys in American evangelicalism, he, he uh Again, this is all about upsetting people. He upset a whole bunch of Christians by his answer to what is, to be fair, a pretty tricky question. Yeah. Uh, he was yeah. asked uh, on a on a panel uh, the situation of a grandmother who's been invited to her granddaughter's—I think I'm right in saying Grand. granddaughter's yeah. leg, grandson. Forgive me, uh, grandson's uh, gay gay wedding. Uh, let's call it for what it is. Uh, Alistair, what would be your what would be your Advice to her, and, and, and Beg said, "Look, um, you know, if if Grandma is really clear with her grandson on this matter, so there's no doubt that the grandma in this situation, what she what she believes on this, that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's how Jesus uh, made us and, and, and affirmed it. Uh, and she and she is able to communicate that to her grandson. He said, nevertheless, it might not be a bad thing for her to go. In fact, he would counsel her, that, you know, she should go and show some love and take a gift." Uh, even though she's actually ideologically and and hmm. religiously opposed to it and the internet did what it did best which is uh, go nuts uh and divide itself again uh, and and uh twas, twas 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 ever thus uh so we'll, we'll think a minute um about uh, begs response on what we think of it Steve but first of all why, why are we even being asked these questions like I, I imagine that 15 20 years ago on a similar panel that just wouldn't even be a question that anyone would be being asked why, no. why yeah what, what's yeah. going on here that we've been now being asked these questions that's kind of the big question everyone' wants, everyone wants to know the answer to right
0: well I think it's because there's so many moving parts and they're moving so quickly so uh, the the way you know I use the term a sexual age uh, the whole idea of I find out who I truly am, I express myself to the world that way and you should line up with that or you don't love me <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. But the complexity is pastoral, right? It's because for many Christian people, the the world of crazy sexuality was out there. It was something that was not within our sphere or if it was within our sphere, and it clearly was because that's how, <laughs> you know, let's not be silly, uh, it was hidden. And now it yeah. feels like it's out there and kind of celebrated, but also that there are members of your family sitting around your table who have worldviews and world practices completely at odds with yours and you have to navigate your way through that. So the questions are being asked because grandmothers have grandsons who are getting married to trans people because parents have uh, children who say, if you don't call me by my pronouns that I prefer, you're, you're not, I don't want to have anything to do with you. These are not abstract ideas. These are deep, painful pastoral issues that people are realising all the time. And it feels like pastors are making it up on the run as to what response they could give. Now, I am a big fan of Alistair Begg and I love listening to his stuff. And there's been no hint at any stage in his ministry that he's fearful of the culture or that he has shifted his view on sexuality. But he's dealing with a deep, Pastoral issue. Unfortunately, he just happens to have hundreds of thousands of people who listen to him every week because of his the yes. quality of the sermons. It, Not a problem. It, Not a problem. Yeah. We may ever
1: have, Steve.
0: I think you'll be fairly safe there, Dave. In, yes. <laughs> in the uh, in the train line out past Sydney CBD, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I, I think that that blows things up very quickly. And uh, but it's because these things have come. To our doorstep very quickly, and you, you see the shift that we could no longer say love the sin and hate the sinner. No, no, there's the other way around. Love the sinner, hate the sin. We yeah. can no longer say things are broken. Our culture says these are things you must celebrate, yeah. not just because they're sexual sexual issues. The sexual age idea I talk about is to do with because they're it's me expressing myself, and to push down on that is. Rejecting my authenticity, and grandma, grandma's hoping to be able to keep having conversations with people. So, yeah, do, do, you, know, do you know what I'm saying?
1: There? That's yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, um, I'm thinking a lot about um, grandparents and their relationship with their grandchildren at the moment. My, um, my my mum lives um, well back in the UK. My, my my kids are here. The other set of grandparents are in Singapore, where my wife comes from. And so, just thinking about the nature of those relationships and how hard actually you work. To um to to build them and 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 just as as you grow up and you contemplate grandparenthood yourself, you're probably like me. You've got uh, children who are probably biologically capable of of bearing you grandchildren, and you're yeah, kind of the idea mm-hmm. is terrifying and yet at the same time kind of appealing. Like there's something deeply lovely about a grand a grandparent grandchild relationship, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and so the, the need to want to preserve that and the mm-hmm. fear that um it might be taken away. That's, that's very understandable and yet also this desire as many of us have as dual citizens just to we want to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ yeah. and how do we how do we how do we navigate issue, that? right
0: so what's coming down yeah. the line well this Sorry. is where the conflict was so you've got a pastoral concern coming down the line yeah. and a yeah. deep commitment not to affirm something that we don't yeah. believe is marriage and so what you're getting uh, you're saying it's unfaithful for you to go and celebrate something that God would not recognize or celebrate. Right or yeah. affirm as a marriage, and you doing so is uh, celebra- is affirming something that isn't real, and your very action of doing that is compounding the problem in the culture. And do you see how those two things are never going it's, to
1: it's yeah. li- well on, on the basis of, of being liked or getting it right... It's just lose-lose, isn't it? It's just either way, you know, you, you're going to lose. And so Beg gets handed this this live grenade and the pin gets pulled out and, and there he is. Uh, what do you actually make of his response?
0: Okay. I'm going to say that I, my advice would not necessarily be to go. I, I'd yeah. say I'd be very careful about that. Um, but I know people that have done and people that haven't and they're both firm Christians. But what I saw, and I think this is probably the issue, what I saw was a swarm, <laughs> right, so that's doesn't deal with the issue kind of dispassionately. So this is a make-or-break issue, and Alistair has shown that, and, you know, it was unfortunate to read lots of quotes, he's clearly given in, he clearly doesn't believe the gospel anymore, he's a heretic. Oh, he yeah. And I, I think if I were a Christian watching a swarm, I'd say, it has all of the, um, by that, uh, you know, the, the swarm mentality of you pounce on the guy, you shred him and off you go to the yeah. next person. Um, yeah. I would say that has all of the characteristics of a, a non-Christian swarm. And you've watched those and you go, there someone's just gotten shredded. They've been told they're wrong. They've been told to repent. And when they do repent, guess what's not coming back? Uh, the request to speak at anything, the writing engagements, the friendships. It's like Alistair's everyone's a psychological being and Alistair's probably doubling down a little bit because he goes even if I give in to you you know I know I don't want to read his mind and this is the other thing I'd say yeah
1: don't you don't have to go in that I,
0: I don't think he's going oh I'm scared because I've never seen him scared or heard him scared about anything he's saying yeah. there's a difference between how I would respond to this pastorally and a whole group of people saying there's a culture we've got to hold tight, we've got to recover, and you are pulling a brick out of the wall.
1: That's- well, Steve, let's, let's talk about the reaction to Beg in, in a moment because I think that's that merits some further exploration of whatever happened there. I, I just want to go back and just ask you a question about what you said before, which is, uh, and I think our, our listeners will want to hear your response. You said, look, I don't think my advice would be the same. I don't think I'd say go. Just unpack for a minute. Yeah. Why you would, I think that's the position I would take as well. Mm-hmm. Um, having actually gone to one of these things for a, for a TV thing I did a while ago, but I think then it was really, really clear what yeah. my role there was, and it certainly wasn't affirming. Uh, but what's your, what's just the basic rationale behind that position which says don't go? Because I wonder if a bunch of people uh listening watching to us would go, Well, what actually, what is the problem with, yeah. with going?
0: Well, you know, it you, you can only preach through Daniel so often. And talk about yeah. not bowing down to the golden image when the umpire band strikes up, yeah. and then not apply it to your own life in the clinch moments. And so, for me, I go that is actually. And Doug Wilson, who I don't agree with a lot about a lot of things, right? He did say he called same-sex marriage same-sex mirage, and that, to be honest, what he's saying there is a, this is aping something. It's mirroring something. It's wanting an affirmation that this is also true about this relationship. Now, I get that two people who, you know, two same-sex people can love each other, but is that God's framework for what marriage is? No. Yeah. Because I think there's a creation issue and a natural law issue that it's leaning against, and I think there's a new creation issue that it's, (laughs) it's rejecting as well. And there's a Jesus picture. Now, not everyone who gets married is a Christian, but God gave marriage as, as a created order. And I think that partly because of where we're going in the West, in the post-Christian framework, it's a deconstruction of the created order. And yeah. But the problem with that is grandma's not sitting there going, if I go to my grandson's trans wedding, I'm pulling a brick out from the created order. She's going, I just want to love the guy so that in a month's time when they come round for lunch... We can look each other in the face, and all of the warriors, I suppose, on the conservative side of that, say, "No, this is a totalizing make-or-break deal, and Grandma yeah. should never do it." Yet, I I think there'd be people in their own churches who are sitting there silently play, praying, "Please don't let this happen in my family," because I don't know what I would do.
1: Yeah, well, 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 exactly. But why can't Grandma, like in your view, why can't Grandma? go and just sit quietly in the back they know where she stands and then hopefully when they come back from their honeymoon uh in a month's time and have lunch with her she's in a much better position to continue talking to them about the goodness of jesus
0: well some people are going to say that that she can right Mm. Uh, and that won't be unfaithful to the gospel I, i do think that we um it's the little things right it's always the little things it's our, it's our little decisions about things. It's our little statements. And I don't think that there was any sense that grandma was approving of it, and grandson probably knew that. Yeah. But it, it, it just chips away at you. And I think that's probably more my issue. I don't think this is okay. the, um, you know, the the landing at, you know, on the beaches of Normandy I think this is just a little chipping away that our yeah. cultural moment has to go, no, 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 we can love you beyond agreeing with you. And so yeah. perhaps that's the issue, that in one sense, the courage of your own convictions, but not even your own convictions. In one sense, if God is big in your mind, other humans aren't too big, but they're not too small either. Right? You don't despise them. They're just the right size, they're human size, just like you, and they're gonna make mistakes, and you're gonna make mistakes. But if you say, look, I love you, but I can't go to it because of my conviction about marriage, you can't uh, determine what their response is gonna be. Uh, You're not in control of that. You're never in control of that. You can't control another person. If you've ever learned anything in marriage, It's that, right? <laughs> you cannot yeah. control another
1: person, yeah. and nor should you. Yeah, and and, and frankly, given the nature of, the, of 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 the debate around marriage and if Grandma wants to continue to have lunches with 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 her with her grandson, uh, it's going to come up anyway, isn't it? So so whether I'm you know so not not uh, going to the marriage isn't going to avoid the confrontation when it finally comes. i might just add one thing from my own perspective, Stephen, as well. I'm going to, mm-hmm. I obviously marry people as a minister, as, as I know you do. And one of the things I do when I'm using the prayer book preface is, is we say, you know, uh, 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 Bruce and Sheila have come to this point, which we believe God has come to, and they ask us to join them in this prayer. And we effectively serve as um endorsers of what's going on. Yeah. And, and witnesses of the promises made, in order to hold them accountable too. So, there's a sense in which, for me, conscience speaking, um, to go to a wedding is is to is to, by its very nature, to endorse the thing that is there. And let's be going back to the previous conversation we had about, you know, victim oppressor and like being liked and wanted, and you know, you're hated if you disagree. Um, you are seen as approving, just yes, the very I'm nature. Just, so, yeah, so just, you know, you got to work out in your conscience now. Beg. Took it a certain way and the internet uh, you know as we said before uh, um, erupted so let's think a bit more through about what's going on as people respond to beg like what what, what do you make of it what's what's driving this this kind of response to him uh, from here we might say from from more, the more conservative uh politically conservative uh, uh, side of of American evangelicalism uh, uh, like what's what's at stake here that, that people feel has been so radically attacked what, what, what do you make of it all
0: Well, if I read uh, the responses, everything, (laughs) and that's perhaps the issue for me, right? Yeah, um, everything's at stake, Um, so that it cannot be a simply seen as Alistair Berg making a pastoral error in light of his theological conviction. Which generally is pretty robust, it has to be seen as a betrayal of the direction that we're going as a culture. And yeah. uh, I think that's the issue. So when I do read uh, that he should repent, uh, A, you're always going to double down when you're told that anyway, right? <laughs> but <yeah>. sure, mostly. <laughs> mostly, yeah. Uh, he picked up the fact that it's different between the UK and the US. And so he's been able to be in America for forty years, thirty years, uh, wow, yeah, and be completely seamless, right? But the the groups that cancelled him or don't want him coming, I'll, I'll just go with the Show Marx line. I don't want to, you know, join a any club that would have me as a member, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps. Um, but because I think it feels like everything's at stake. In that context, that's what's been said. So I do, I don't agree with Alistair in that yeah. sense. But I think he's a good man, and I think his pastoral advice maybe wouldn't be the wisest I would use. And I think for reasons you've said, what are the chances of a a, a person marrying a trans person in a ceremony that feels more civil, where they open the prayer book and ask you to affirm together? Under it's low, not impossible, sure. low. All sure. right, so. It does feel like mirage. So it doesn't feel like you're actually, so you can see why grandma might go. But when everything is at stake and when this is the, um, the touch point and the sore point culturally, it feels yeah. like a complete betrayal, which is what happens when you're never as angry with your opposition as you are with the person who betrays you from within. Just ask a political party.
1: And that's, yeah, well, that's been in the news, hasn't it, here yeah, in Australia? And, and that's well, really. what
0: I think's going on there at some level. Plus, I yeah. don't agree with Doug Wilson that what Alistair thinks he's doing is different to what Alistair's actually doing. Alistair's doing, giving into fear. I'm going, oh, I'm not so sure. But, uh, I, you know, I think you, you can't judge his motive because yes, he said yeah. one thing. And But I think it's because everything's at stake. But I do think, and, and I will say there's public affirmations of things do chip away. There's no doubt about that. But in one sense, if you're a dual citizen, everything's not at stake. Uh, that's what I'm gonna say. And that that's perhaps hard.
1: And so you'll make your mistakes along the way and you'll you'll get it wrong, sometimes you'll get it right. Um, uh, Jesus is coming back. And, and and ironically, probably the more I think this is what you're communicating, the more I get that Jesus is coming back, and he's actually the one that will sort everything out, the the less anxious I get about all those little things along the way, and perhaps it might free me to, ironically, actually make better decisions about them um, along the way. Now, let's just talk a little bit more about about this "everything's at stake" thing. What what is it about the states? Do you think that 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 uh, makes that yeah. makes that be the case? Because it's really interesting that we we watch. Here is my observation: We sit either in the UK or in Australia in in these 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 westernized anglophone uh, um, countries, and we we get a lot of American stuff all the time, but we are not the United States. And it does feel to me like more recently we're just importing more of the American assumptions and paradigms about how society and political things work uh, and so on. I think we saw some of that in the COVID debate. uh, That's uh, true. left to right. Yeah. So
0: in one sense, the first issue we talked about, which was that he gets us, uh, this is the flip side of that from the other. Yeah. Right. So I, I'm able to say I don't think Alistair got it right without thinking that he has been a Benedict Arnold. He's a good United States traitor example, right? Yeah. Um, to the cause. So I think one of the things we say is um, perhaps American understanding of uh, civil liberty, the, f- the way the place was founded, uh, the documents. There's there's a there's a hagiography going on about American America's foundations, right? Which I don't yeah. think. I don't think.
1: There's a battle going on, isn't there? Like, are you a 1776er? Are you a you know a Puritan guy? Uh, is was and, and and the the racism and slavery thing wrapped up into that? Is is this the great nation from which the rest of the world ran to to be to be free, or is it actually just a disaster of a place? And and that's a big debate. That's existential for how Americans see themselves, right?
0: It is. And the other thing you'd want to say is when you conflate the two citizenships into it's into one citizenship everything's at stake and that is not to belittle the implications of going to such a wedding i'm I'm saying i still think that but when you conflate if your view of dual citizen is that they're starting to morph into the same kind of country then you've got a little a few problems i think i think that's crazy
1: so what might be some helpful things we can say to our dual citizens sitting here maybe in australia uh or, or the uk or wherever else uh where we go look guys we're not America, and that means maybe we just need to think some things through uh, uh, a little bit more. What, what might be some of those things that we want to uh, think? Is there anything we can learn from?
0: I, I would say uh, don't look over your shoulder to see what everyone else is thinking you should do.
1: Right?
0: Uh, that's true of both of those situations we've talked about today. Like it's responding to, uh, I guess, extremes uh, and then not bringing the gospel through clearly. I do think... Uh, that it's true that it, it would be a, um, it is a mirage that it's not marriage and I, I wouldn't want to celebrate such a marriage uh, such a you know what's called a marriage uh, So I think that's true uh, but how that's played out in different places is just the assumption in the UK among evangelicals is we've never held the country. Uh, it's never been the Christian country that everyone talks about. We've had enough conflict about everything. We had to leave to go to America if you were a Puritan, you know, if you were a dissenter. Um, and so America's based on dissent, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, and, enough,
0: yeah. love that. At, at that level. Um, but you have to manage it well and say, get good advice, but do it quietly and, uh, and not online necessarily. So one thing I'd also say is... Uh, And mere orthodoxy wrote this to say, why is everyone jumping online to give Alistair advice? Surely in any church setting, there's a process that you go through, uh, whether you're a Presbyterian or an Anglican, where decisions are made by people within the denomination about the decisions that you've made or the things that you've said. But it feels like America goes, if you've got a A camera and you've got a microphone, you've got an opinion on it and it's just as valid as everyone else's. So I look around the statements that are made and I don't see denominational leaders being put forward to say it. I see personalities. It's very personality driven.
1: Yeah, well, we we um we got a camera and a microphone. I don't know if we've worked out if we have any personality yet, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we've got uh, help one of us r- between r-
0: us, r- between r- us r- both. That's it good.
1: could be. It could be. Um, we should move on, right? <laughs> we, I think we should move on. Uh, let's let's turn to our last uh, topic, which is the the untimely death of Kelvin Kiptum. Now, uh, this was for me. This was, uh, it's a name I almost didn't recognize. Oh, um, right. Calvin Kipton, as I understand it, is the guy that is going to be, if anybody would have, he would have been the guy that cracked two hours for for the marathon, which, again, is so out of my world. The notion of running a marathon itself is just so out of my world uh, that, I'm, that I'm not there. Um, and it, it seems, and you can probably correct me and get the details right on this, he had a car crash back home in Kenya oh, uh, yeah. and and he's gone.
0: Yes. A- and, yes,
1: and I am reading some stuff around it now. There seems to be some some other stuff that's going on around it. Like uh, who knows about no, that? Maybe no you can,
0: conspiracies, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe then you can lighten us. But but um, is that the nuts and bolts of it, Steve? Uh, what, yeah.
0: Well, because the Elliot Kipchoge has been the the goat of marathon running, and who right. ran a sub two hour marathon under certain conditions, which wasn't the world record. Right. Other, that'll never happen and then suddenly a young man comes along who's running 250 k a week training and runs three three marathons in his first three marathons the are three of the fastest seven marathons ever run and his last marathon was the world record at Chicago
1: two hours and he's, and he's for real and he's for real right like yeah. this is the, the real deal yeah real
0: deal and everyone's looking to him to set the pace because there's no one coming up behind other than that. But I guess the key for Literally, as well. He's got. I didn't want to that
1: one. To yeah, yeah.
0: To second. yeah, Suddenly, you know, minor car accident, in you know, slide on road, into ditch, into tree, he and his coach are dead. And the key is the shock, right? It's how I felt, even though it's lost in the memory hole just pre COVID. Kobe Bryant. Bryant
1: I was going to say, Brian, and actually, the the other one that I was thinking about was, actually, I can remember when Princess Diana died. I've been re-watching The Crown uh, um, online and and just reliving, and and I remember that moment and and actually being awake at four in the morning for some reason on a Sunday morning and listening to the news in the UK and going, she's dead, and just going. That cannot be, right? Like, it's wow. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? And it's not like a parents dying, which I know is something that you and I have, have grappled with uh, yeah. recently. Like, that's awful, but you, you, you kind of get it. So what is it about um, not just young people, but famous, relatively young people? Well, now more people are younger than us, but what is it about them dying that actually just grips us so much?
0: Well, oh, death. Um, the beautiful young and gifted should live on, because in our minds we're saying that beautiful young and gifted, Sonic gives you the... Um, the right at one level to keep going but death like that stops us in our tracks and makes us think about our own death there's a reason why when someone died young in the past and they had a memorial for them it was a column that was cut off shattered because it's saying this should not be this should not happen
1: parents don't bury their children yeah yes
0: and i think to be honest, as I'm reading the athletics world, it's the shock and the sheer disbelief at that, not simply because he was... Uh, you know, his world record was ratified five days before his death uh, by Lord Sebastian Coe, the great British runner, who if he died today, you'd go, terrible, world record holder. But he had a good innings. He was a 70s. Well, he had a
1: good run, you he might. He had a good run, so yeah. Short, much like short do, well. I would like to do that, Steve, I know. No, but I it's didn't. also...
0: When you go back to a public figure and you realise that he was about to run another marathon in April, and he was looking to break the world record on a fast course or break the two hours on a fast course, and you read his hopes and goals and dreams, and suddenly they're gone. It's the goneness
1: of it. Yeah, and he was—I mean, he was dedicated. I've been reading a couple of the news articles about him, and and this is the guy who's. I think we've got to say his kids didn't get as much time with him as maybe they should have done because he's like, actually, no, I've got to go and do another training session and, and I've got to. And he had a so 24
0: was- year old with a wife and two children. And that's yeah. obviously Kenyan. So he's, you know, the average Western athlete who's 24 isn't thinking of marriage till they retire, right? In their early 30s or whatever, generally, yeah. not always. But suddenly he's gone, he had two kids, and he has a wife and kids who, a widow and uh, kids who have got no dad now. Just like that. Yeah. And now, now th- th- this is the thing, though, in sub-Saharan Africa, death is the everyday occurrence, whereas right. for us it's a shock and it shouldn't happen. But you speak to enough people who've either worked as aid workers or missionaries in those parts of the world, death is the day is the fact of life in their experiences. But this is right. a shock because it, it, it shouldn't happen to the young, the gifted, the beautiful, and it does. And I think it's a, it's a timely warning for us. All death should do like that is make us think about our own mortality because we don't. We sort of mask it with overseas trips and white goods.
1: Right. And, and, and this hadn't occurred to me beforehand, but it's, it's kind of why we actually still need to ha- keep having good funerals, don't we? We keep moving to this kind of celebration thing where we want to celebrate the life. But there's something, the funeral service, yeah. funeral service is, I mean, you've led them. I've led them. Uh, I'm an Anglican. I use a proper prayer book. Uh, 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 but um,
0: I, but I, you, basically,
1: you basically go, we've gathered today and we, we want to mourn the loss of this person. And, and we want to show solidarity to those who are here. Um, but we are reminded of our own mortality. And mm. it's as though Jesus slaps everyone as, of, of us in the face and just says, you could be next. Are you ready? Uh, and and the job of the funeral service is to go, here's Jesus. Mm, and if yeah. you're with him, you are actually ready. So how might we – you may have given this some thought, Steve. How might we use an event like this or even this event to to leverage that way? Because it's not enough, is it, uh, Um, just to bring us full circle. It's not enough to, just to go, oh, you're feeling really bad about this. Do you know what? Jesus gets Jesus gets you in that. He understands your, your, your sorrow. No. That's not enough, is it? That's not enough.
0: No. And this Good. is perhaps where I think that many – of us in our Western setting who are a little bit more, uh, the, you know, don't, you know, lose this nonsense of you'll go to heaven when you die. We're waiting for the resurrection day and the last day. Yeah. When you're disembodied, there's something unnatural about that. And unless Jesus has broken death and destroyed death, you have no comfort. And I feel that that's probably what I, Western Christians have to rediscover the fact that they're, their one comfort in life and death is that they are not their own, right? They belong to God yeah. and Christ. And the, the thing for me is that the, the resurrection of Jesus is the thing that, to be honest, gets me out of bed in the morning because as I get older, I go, I, was, I sat with my dad as he died. And I, the night before he died, he was alive. And the next morning, when I, I don't say this facetiously, looking at his body, which was like wax, and was not him in that sense, that's going to be us. And unless you're sobered by going to the house of mourning, you know, as it says in the Proverbs, better to go to the house of mourning, you'll learn something. Unless you're sobered by that, uh, you can take it flippantly. And if you're not sobered by death or you hide away from it, you won't see the radical nature of what Jesus actually did when he rose from the dead.
1: That's right, and, and actually, I, I don't know what your experience was, Steve. So, my my mine was similar to yours. My dad died, um, obviously, back in the UK, so I didn't get to see him before he died. But I, I did have the experience a couple of days later of going to to uh, the chapel of rest and and, and, and seeing his body. And, and you're right, uh, you and I, and our have probably seen more dead bodies uh, than most. And it's uh, the the that person is starkly dead. Yes, like, yeah, there's, they're not it, in the next room.
0: They're not. They're, it's not like they're asleep. It's, yeah, very. It's there and
1: it's, but here was my thing, Steve, uh, and this is the resurrection thing. I think coming through. I sat in the plane on the way home a couple of weeks later, and just went, "All right, Oli, you are you're almost forty nine years old. Um, like, what are you doing? Mm. Like, how how are you going to use the rest of these years that God has given you? Well, and, and what was really interesting is is was that that gentle, quiet conviction yes, I will be raised one day. And actually it is pointing people towards Jesus that now actually makes the only sense of maybe the, the, the 25 good years I've got. And then the, the, mm. the 10 beyond it. And we've got to have better aspirations than just going, I refuse to grow old and be a grumpy old man. Right. You know, I want to gather my grandchildren around me, whether they've been mm-hmm. lesbian married or not. Um, just more than that, surely like, Almost death makes you go, what's the point? And if we haven't worked out what the point is, oh, we're just not yeah. going to be able to deal with it, are we?
0: No, we're not. And people don't. That's why they want to take control of it in things like, I want to end my own life, my way, the way right. because they realize that it, that's a myth. That's a, that's a fiction to try and say I'm in control of death. Death controls yeah. us, and the fear of death shapes our lives, according to Scripture. Yeah. And Jesus breaks the fear of that, right? we've been held enslaved by it, whether that's by sheer fear or by sheer pleasure covering it over, we're enslaved. And I think for me it's uh, heading up towards 60 in a few years' time, where did that go? You know, it, it, life doesn't seem short. Life is short. <laughs> and yeah. And for for Kelvin Kipton, for me watching that, it was a stark reminder that one day... I might be interviewed about something and talking confidently about what I'm going to be doing in two months' time and tomorrow I could be dead and to be ready for that. And thats I think that's the sobering fact of what it means. And that's partly why it's good to be a dual citizen because I don't want to be homeless. I don't want to be exiled away from the place that's true home when this citizenship ends.
1: And place my confidence in the wrong things and feed feed the wrong things i mean that's the glorious thing isn't it about how paul writes in in philippians 3 having set out just how wonderful the resurrection is and just going that's it i'm, I'm all in on the resurrection just going uh, the world around us, you know, it's it's God is its stomach. It, it, it feeds itself, uh, which is what you do if you think – if you're not sure how long the food's going to stay on the table and it all looks pretty good, you, you – I mean, maybe you're more disciplined than me, but I don't know. I'm – you know, there's nothing worse than a banquet where you've already paid – you know, you've paid you've <laughs> well, You that's know. Yeah. You know, get all those crab claws that you can get. Uh, um, get, it, get it in. But then he goes – but but our citizenship is in heaven, and we await from there a savior, and he will be the one who transforms us. He will be the one who guarantees our future. Uh, we're, we're 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 hanging out for that. So every death around us ought to be a, an opportunity yeah. to reflect for ourselves and make sure that we're clear. Yes. But then but then look around us and just go. Well, how am most effectively reaching out and appealing to these people who who have just been confronted with the actual the only real issue. That, properly final issue that everyone has to face
0: well i'm sure as we wrap it up that's going to be a conversation i have running with some friends who aren't christian in the next couple of weeks because they'll talk about it because they're sobered by it and what it means as as we get older but uh yeah um yeah so i think that's a good way to to finish it's a sobering way to finish uh this episode but it feels like uh unless you have an understanding of who jesus is and what he's done across all of these issues you're either going to be fearful or fighting or you know you're
1: you're you're not going to be sure uh,
0: where you belong and i think that's critical to understanding what we're doing
1: yeah, Well, here on Dual Citizens, we are thinking about where we belong. We're living in this world now, uh, but we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ who's who's coming back, uh, and we belong in that, that, that new creation. He, he's going to make it ought to radically change everything. Uh, this has been Episode 1 of Season 2 of Dual Citizens. Uh, I am David Old. I'm Steve McAlpine. Uh, We would love to hear more from you about what you thought of this episode, what you want to be looking at us to be looking at in episodes uh, to come, because we will be back with more Jewel Citizens.